0: I want to dispense with just a couple of things before we look at the wonder of our Lord Jesus. The issue with my eyes that you might know is that my dad had glaucoma, my mother had macular degeneration, and genetically I inherited both. Uh, in my left eye, it was the there are 20 different kinds of glaucoma. I had the worst. And I had a major hemorrhage in my left eye, so my left eye doesn't see in my right eye I've had two hemorrhages in my right eye, and uh, I see dimly. I told some of the staff the other morning i 'm the most biblical person at the per- at the table. I see through a glass darkly uh, right now, as I look at you, I see images, but you all are in a fog. Do you feel like you're in a fog? <laughs> It's like I'm looking through a fog, and uh, my wife helps me to get around. I had a hemorrhage back in uh, December, the second one, and that set me back three months in my recovery. I'm under excellent doctor's care, and he thinks my eye, vision and my right eye will continue improving. The second issue I want to dispense with is that uh, Mr. Johnson mentioned a book last night, uh, It's called God Drew Near, and I only wrote that book because there was a pastor who right now in his position is a pastor to pastors, and he said to me about four years ago, Jerry, you've got to write these stories down. Uh, It has been my privilege to see God do some phenomenal things that I had never seen before. And so he said, you've got to write these stories down. Well, I I said, I'll think about it. Well, then three years later, he called me and he said, Jerry, you've got to write these stories down for your children and your grandchildren, if nobody else. Well, that urged me. And another man came to me and said for you to do the same thing. So I decided to write down these stories. I didn't write down all the stories. There are too many, and some of them... uh, well i won 't go into that, so anyway, I wrote the stories down, and uh, my wife and I wanted our family to have it, and then some friends, few friends to have it, and then some men I have mentored through the ages to have it and When I say ages, I mean ages. I took a guy in my house when I, he was nineteen years old and he 's now sixty six so that 's ages and uh wrote it down, and we had a whopping 50 copies printed. And that was our first printing. And then Mr. Johnson called and said, Jerry, I want to order some, and other men have said they wanted to order some, and so we had a few more printed. So it's just very limited, but perhaps the Lord will use uh, that to encourage men and women as well. When I was 16 years old, Oh, I want to say one more thing. I don't make a dime off these books. We have a book fund that we get things printed from when we need to reprint a book. I have a little book out, Fellowship with God, that's been selling for 20-some years. And we don't make a dime. We just simply put the money in a special designated bank account, and then it just goes to reprint if there happens to be the need to reprint any books So we don't pocket anything from the sale of books. When I was 16 years old, I heard a man preach on the straight gate and the narrow way. And few there be that find it. And he made it so abundantly clear of what it cost to belong to Jesus Christ. And that it was a lifetime commitment down a very narrow way that led to life. He made it quite clear it's not a one-time decision. It's continuing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came to the end, he said, if you want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up. Well, we were in this big auditorium, and there were people in chairs in the aisles. There was no room to go down front. And I was sitting with my buddies because we were in North Carolina to attend a Hawaii camp. And so I stood up in front of my peers. I stood up. It had been as though I was the only one in that massive auditorium. And that's what I wanted. God drew me and I stood. I never looked back. Ten years later, when I was 26 years old, I had been searching how to live in the fullness of God's Spirit and how to minister in the power of God's Spirit. I talked to pastors. They couldn't tell me what I needed to know. I took a seminary course, two semester course on the Holy Spirit. I learned nothing about how I could know the person of the Holy Spirit at work in my life and through my ministry. I read books. I'd go to the bookstore, buy a book that seemed to stand out to me and go home and have to confess to my wife. I'd spent money on a book that we didn't have. We were living on about $300 a month in those years. But I was thirsty and I was hungry. And finally, when I was 26 years old, I understood by reading one book, I've read one or two paragraphs, and all of a sudden it came together. This is what God wants from you in order that you might know and live in the fullness and power of His Spirit. And I stretched out face down on the rug in that room. And I said, Lord, anything. I made sure my sins were confessed up, my conscience was clear. And I said, Lord, anything. I abandoned myself to Him. About a week later, I spoke at a youth retreat for two churches. They went together for a youth camp. I knew the two youth pastors. I went and spoke for about 23 minutes. I did not realize at that moment what happened. But one of those leaders came over and leaned his head over on my shoulder and cried he was about six foot four he leaned over and cried on my shoulder and said Jerry I've never experienced anything like this in my life and well, I wasn't fully cognizant of what he was talking about but those youth pastors were up all night dealing with young people who wanted to get right with God and it was like God said I have kept my word you trusted me and I've kept my word I went into my first pastorate. It was a traditional Baptist church. And there came to be a few people who really responded to the truth that I wanted to share. I thought everybody would be delighted to learn about how they could live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because in those years, Southern Baptists did not really talk much about the Holy Spirit. Well, there were people there who resisted it and fought me. But then a pastor named Ken Joner here in Greenville, South Carolina, asked me if I'd come do a week of meetings in his church. Mr. Carroll and his family attended that church. I was in my early 30s. So it was about six or seven years after I had laid on my face and said, anything, Lord. I came down here and spoke in that church. And I will simply say, I had never seen God do what he did in that church. It was so much new to me. I'd never witnessed such a thing. The Spirit of God just came on that fellowship. And I watched God do a wonderful work. And that encouraged me in the midst of my situation in the Baptist church. It just encouraged me. These people were hungry for the Lord. And God moved among them in a wonderful way. And it encouraged me. The Holy Spirit is able to do today what he did in previous centuries and even in biblical times. And then a few years later, I attended a retreat in Florida. I was not the speaker. I was there as a guest. And men came from across the southeast United States, to attend this retreat in South Central Florida. We had a powerful sermon on that Friday night. And the next morning, before daybreak, I was awake. I was sleeping in a bunkhouse with some men. I didn't want to disturb them, so I got up and I went to a little ante room outside that bunk, that bunk room. It was too dark for me to see, to read my Bible. And so I just sat there and I prayed on this concrete floor. And all of a sudden, this question came to mind. And I knew it had to be the Lord. The devil wouldn't ask me this. And I knew my self-life, my flesh would not ask this. And this was the question. Do you want to please me? Or do you want me to please you? You see, I'd go and have my quiet time in the morning. I had learned to to have a quiet time in the morning time. And I'd go have my quiet time, but I went for God to bless me. I'd minister the truth. I want God to bless the ministry for me. I wanted my wife to please me. And so I realized this was a very serious question. I knew the right answer. But this was a heart question. Do you want to please me or do you want me to please you? It was asked very gently in my mind and in my heart. And I sat there and I finally settled it. And by that time daybreak had come, I could see. And I had one of those old, big, thick, New American Standard Bibles that had just come out. And I opened up to the Blank page on the left hand side. And I printed as neatly as I could. To please him in all things. And over on the other page. I printed as neatly as I could. Whatever will please you O God. Will satisfy me. I did not realize at that moment or the days right after that moment that this was a paradigm shift in my life. It was revolutionary. It completely changed my thought patterns. And I began to see things differently. I'd go into my quiet time. It was not for me to get blessing from God. It was for me to bless the heart of God Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. David understood it. Acts 13, too, as they ministered to the Lord. I'd never paid attention to that verse. As they ministered to the Lord with prayer and fasting. Some translations say worship the Lord. But the Greek says ministered to the Lord. They understood. It's not about us. It's for him. It's about him. and so it changed my life now hold on to that to please him to please him later i realized this is what the apostle paul said in 2nd corinthians chapter 5 i make it my aim to please him I make it my aim to please him. Last night, I met a young man who is a first-year student. He's just come out of, before he came to this school this year, he just came out of the Army Rangers. They taught him how to shoot. I don't know whether he was a sniper or not. But a sniper learns how to shoot and hit the enemy a mile away or even farther than that. They take aim. They learn how to aim. Whether it's a machine gun or a rifle or a pistol. They target practice. They take aim. Paul said, I make it my aim to please him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. What about when trials come? What about tribulations? What about temptations? What about testings? I want to remind you of something. The Lord Jesus Christ went to be baptized at the age of 30. Because it was the word of God through John the Baptist, his cousin. Repent and be baptized. Jesus had never sinned, but he was identified with God's people, the nation of Israel. And when he went to be baptized by John the Baptist, he had never preached his first sermon, cast out the first demon, healed the first person. He had never done anything that we would call religious ministry. He had been a carpenter, which in those years was a challenging job because he had to go out and cut his own tree down and carry the log back to where he was going to work. He lived in Nazareth, a backwashed town of four to five hundred people. No sanitary conditions. We would not recognize it. It would be third world. At its worst. And that's where he lived. It's just about three to five hundred people. What did he do? He worked as a carpenter. He was the local carpenter. Took care of his widowed mother. Took care of his half brothers and sisters. Just an ordinary life. And yet, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Father spoke and said, You are my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. Why? Because as a carpenter, he pleased God. As a citizen, he pleased God. As a son, he pleased God. As a brother, he pleased God. Dealing with his employees, I mean his uh, customers, he pleased God. In a quiet, obscure, ordinary life, he had pleased God, and God bragged about him and approved him. You're my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. The issue is to make it your aim to please God. In your finances, in your marriage, in your work, in whatever you do, your goal in life is to please God. And that became increasingly etched deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into my soul. And my love for God the Father increased as that was etched deeper and deeper and deeper into my heart. Please Him in all things. Now that makes a difference when you come to your testings and trials and tribulations. This has to be settled in your heart when it comes to these testings. That sometime are severe. These trials that are sometime almost crushing. The tribulations that you wonder if you even can trust God. Three years ago, we had a massive flood in our area. It was not a named storm, but we had 30 some inches of rain dropped on us in just a matter of hours. Our house has been surveyed and was above the floodplain. There was nothing above the floodplain for this flood. 90% of the homes in our area flooded. We did not have flood insurance because that had it surveyed. We were above the floodplain. But that much water had to go someplace, and the river overflowed its bank. And so our house was flooded with this filthy, polluted. River water up to 27 inches in our house. We lost the downstairs. We lost our car and we didn't have flood insurance. But when that flood began to come, my son came to help some people take stuff upstairs to our second floor. And he called a dear friend of ours who came and got us in his big pickup truck, drove us through water, going to the interstate, going to take us to Baton Rouge to be in his house. When we got to the interstate to go west, the interstate was closed. Floodwaters. He said, I'm going to take us to Hammond, Louisiana, and go up 55 and go around and come in the north part of Baton Rouge. We started east. We drove out 17 miles, and traffic came to a dead halt. And here we were, floodwaters ahead, floodwaters behind, and floodwaters all around. Deer passing by trying to survive. What, um, copperhead swimming down the side of the road. And there we sat for 36 hours. But when we hit the interstate, this scripture came to my mind. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Because of all those years, my heart was set. I wanted to please my father and glorify my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I didn't have to think about it. And I said to the Lord, I will trust you through this no matter what. I will trust you because that will please you. I will trust you. This has to be settled before the catastrophe hits. If you want to please God, you must decide, in spite of all the devil's lies, in spite of all the trials and the pain and all of that, in spite of what you don't understand, you will trust Him who is invisible. He's your God and Father. And He's worthy to be trusted. Because, dear ones, He gave us everything, everything. Everything that He could give us. Nothing held back. And Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In John 17, He indicates... The Father loves us exactly like He loves the Lord Jesus Christ, His beloved Son. James chapter 1. It says, Count it all, all joy, my brothers, when you face many kinds of trials. Knowing that faith Tested produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be complete and lack nothing. I'd always thought that was a strange verse. Count it all joy when you face various trials or many kinds of trials, testings, tribulations. Count it all joy. How can I count it all joy? I'm hurting. I'm afraid. I'm being pounded. How can I count it joy? Paul wrote in the Romans, the fifth chapter. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but not only this, we rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation works patience, etc., So Paul wrote, rejoice in tribulations. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, count it all joy. How can that happen? How can I count it joy? For this reason. If it's settled in my heart, that God's aim for my life is to make me like Jesus Christ. And He causes all things to work together for the good of those that love Him, to those that are the called according to His purpose. Then what's happening to me now that's painful Disappointing, hurtful, tiring, wearisome Is among the all things that God is using to conform me to his image, the image of his son. And if I have settled it in my heart. That that desire the Holy Spirit has put there. To be like Jesus. If I have settled it in my heart. I want to be like Jesus. No matter what it cost. Then I can walk together. With the Lord. And we can stay in step with each other. Because that is his aim. That I become like Jesus Christ. That Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I will have that same aim in agreement with Him. Paul said, I want to know Him. In fellowship with His sufferings. In fellowship with His sufferings. I want to know Him. And you see, if we want to please God... It's not that I want my comfort and my convenience in my easy way. I want the will of God done for His glory. No matter what it takes. And so instead of praying for release from the sufferings, we need to pray for God to be glorified. Through what we're suffering. Because God is working out his plan. According to his own sovereign purpose. One of the first questions I wrote down, I wrote down six questions to ask myself through that time after the flood. And I was beginning to have eye problems right during the same time. And I wrote down six questions, the first of which was this. Do I believe my Heavenly Father has planned my path in love? The second question was, am I content with the path my Heavenly Father planned for me? The third question was, is there any time, place or circumstances when the Lord Jesus is not sufficient? The fourth question, am I willing to learn obedience through suffering like my Savior did. He said the servant is not greater than his master. And I wrote six questions down that I kept going back to over and over and over to preach the truth to myself that I might stay anchored and aimed. This is what God is after. He's making me like the Lord Jesus. And yes, I want to cooperate fully to be like the Lord Jesus. And I will trust him. And every time we came to a crisis in our recovery from that flood or in my eye situation, this question just hovered right above my head. Will you trust me? Will you trust me with this? Will you trust me with this? Will you trust me with this? And so he says, I, he says for us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face many kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. Do I want to be complete for His glory? Do I want to lack nothing for His glory? Do I want to be a pleasure to His heart for His glory? Do I want to please Him by trusting Him no matter how dark it is, how much pain I have? Do I want to please Him by trusting Him for His glory? Do I really want to be a pleasure to His heart? Am I not willing to suffer this bit of suffering on earth for the riches of glory in heaven? The sufferings now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed to us or in us. It's not to be compared. It's like comparing broken pieces of glass with precious cut diamonds. And if I said to you, compare the worth of these. You would say, Brother Jerry, have you lost your mind? This broken glass is worth nothing. Nothing. These precious diamonds are worth $10,000 or $20,000. No comparison. Paul said the sufferings now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Am I going to fuss and complain about broken pieces of glass? Or am I going to realize I'm not living for today? I am living For that day. It has been said the old timers had two dates on their calendar today and that day. And I have to keep reminding myself I'm living for that day. So it produces endurance. steadfastness so you're unshakable and unmovable for his pleasure. And this young man who had been an army ranger, I did not talk to him about this, but I know something about it. Those men are put through grueling training Because when they are on the battlefield, as he was, they need to be at their sharpest and their finest condition. We are in a battle for the glory of God. And we should want to be at our finest and our sharpest in desire and faith and love. And steadfastness for the glory of our Commander, our Heavenly Father, our gracious Saviour. Just before Christmas, my vision had improved from the previous hemorrhage to where I could actually make my own cup of hot tea. I could actually walk out to the street and get our trash can and bring it back. I was encouraged. We could go to a restaurant. I did did not need my wife to lead me anywhere. I could walk in because I saw well enough. And when that next hemorrhage came along just before Christmas, I went to the doctor that day He looked in there and he said, You have had another small hemorrhage. And I was set back three months. And the next morning, I got up and I went to my place of meeting with this wonderful Lord and Savior. And the first thing I said to him was, Father, I am disappointed. I didn't hear a voice. But I had a distinct impression, and these words went through my mind Would you be disappointed with my will? And there I was face to face with the Lord Jesus. Who gave his all in the most horrible death possible? That I could be a child of God and call God my heavenly. Anything, Lord, to please Him in all things. Even this that's crushing me to death. Even this, my beloved child. Even this. Will you trust me with this? Gracious Lord, Gain the reward of your sacrifice. In my life. With my life. Through my life. For your pleasure. For your honor. And for your praise. Forever. Amen.